Welcome to On Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. I'll be your guide as we explore the stories of today with the personalities impacting tomorrow. Welcome to On Balance. Well, I, I know that I'm feeling a little bit old when I all of a sudden I blink and my children are 11 and 9 um, because I think back to when they were younger and then obviously they're still young, but uh, just the importance of learning and when we think about sort of our youngest out there, what we're exposing them to, how we're inter- interacting technology and resources in a very thoughtful way. And so I wanted to dive a little bit deeper and kind of see where we are with early learning. We're going to be spending time with the chief learning officer of Begin, uh, Dr. Jody Lavos. She's responsible for leading Homer's team. That's the one of their apps, one of their many uh, solutions that they have out there for parents and families. Uh, of learning design experts to craft and innovate playful learning curriculum and provide data-driven insights for parents. With over a decade of experience in the children's media and early learning space, Dr. Jody has overseen the development of countless award-winning play-to-learn products and experiences. She's worked with some of the world's best-known edtech, children's media, and toys companies, including roles at LeapFrog, VTech, KidCraft, and Mattel, where she has continually advocated the importance of learning through play. Dr. Jody, it's so nice to spend some time with you. Um, You know, I I get sort of pitches and people who reach out and want me to have conversations. And this one really just sort of jumped off the page, if you will, the digital page of email, because I I meant that what I said in the beginning, that I think that there are so many parents out there, like the conversations now that I have as a parent uh, are around, you know, sort of what kids can watch, should they watch, (laughs) do we need to be prepared as parents for what they have or don't, Uh, and then the applications that they have access to through their schools. Given your background in children's media and the different companies that you've worked at, are we at a place where we feel pretty good about what we feel like kids at the different stages should be exposed to both in learning opportunities, but really sort of sort of cementing an understanding, understanding this is an iterative process and we're humans and we change all the time. But do we feel pretty good where we are just when we think about early learning in the industry? I think it's an exciting time in terms of learning, you know, early learning opportunities and what we can accomplish with toys and with media, especially when it's been really thoughtfully designed and when we've infused those experiences with learning outcomes that we know are important, you know, learning design principles and and the right research along the way, as well as once those products are out there in the world to make sure that they're working as intended. And, you know, there's some there's some great data and, and it, the, certainly the research is clear that young children learn best through play and there's ways to optimize that. And so I think we're at a really exciting point um, and there's still a lot to learn for sure. I don't think we know everything yet, but it's an exciting time. You know, it was fascinating with, um, I don't know if you call it a silver lining, maybe it's just lessons learned through COVID, especially for older children and their parents was sort of a, a, a reallocation of time and focus on sort of what's going on with our children in schools, what they're learning, how they're learning. Um, help me understand that through the lens of early learning, do we, of course, when we're, you know, when we're first time parents where we're, or we're still in this phase between, you know, sort of that zero to 10, um, you know, hopefully we are, the radar is really sort of up and running and we're, you know, we're activated in a way that changes over time. Do we find that over the last three years that parents in the early learning space are asking more questions, better questions, because there's just a different level of understanding and discernment sort of what has changed when we think about the parent population? 
You hit the nail on the head precisely. We we have research coming out of the pandemic that suggests about 86% of parents now are reporting that they want to be more involved in their child's early learning. And that's, you know, that's a big increase. And I think a lot of it has to do with exactly what you said. For the first time, a lot of parents really had that window into their child's classroom, their child's teachers, the types of assignments that were happening, the type of pedagogy that was going on. And I think parents, not only did they have to play a much bigger role during those early days, you know, helping their kids get you know, into all of those Zoom classes and, you know, printing all of the homework. But um, they definitely, I think, wanted to remain more involved and they see themselves playing a much more active role in their child's learning than in previous generations. What do you think the impact is on those that are designing the experiences writ large, just sort of, you know, whether it's media or it's some, you know, I mean, you, you've got obviously the like little passports, all these different things that begin. And I encourage people to go check out begin. They're re really fascinating stuff. Um, what's the impact, I guess, on the design thinking element of this when we now have a population of sort of buyers in this instance, right, that are more informed and really want to, I mean, 86%, that's really jumping off the page there. Yeah, I mean, one of the things we spend a lot of time thinking about at Begin is how do we support parents? You know, we know parents want to be more involved. We also know, because we are parents ourselves, that it's really difficult to know how to be involved and how, um, like, what skills to focus on at different ages and stages. And um, that's one of the big things that we're really doubling down on is supporting parents because we know they want to be more involved and we know it's confusing and there's so much noise out there for parents right now. It's really hard to, you know, be able to see through and clear through all of that clutter and really know what matters most. And so media companies like, you know, Begin and others are really focused on a designing the best experiences possible for kids. And, and we mentioned what that sort of looks like, but also how do we support parents through that? So part of it is providing, you know, articles and resources on the topics that parents say they would like to learn more about. Part of it is really designing experiences for co-play. And we know co-play in and of itself has learning benefits. And so as we are designing experiences, how do we think about bringing the siblings or bringing parents into that experience. Um, and then also just being open to hearing from parents and spending a lot of time talking to parents to better understand how we can show up for them. Let's talk about schools. So what I think has been the um, sort of the underlying element of all of this, especially in education, is that we just sort of assume that a student is going to walk in, whether it's in, let's say, pre-K or kindergarten or transitioning from elementary to middle school, middle school to high school, right, is that they are prepared. And and I think some of the challenges have been that we've we've lacked communicate lines of communicate communication between the different, I guess, uh, uh, elements or, or time frames, right, for education. And so what assumptions are elementary schools making that we need to have the begins of the world sort of Phil, you know, from a from a backstop perspective, are we finding that there's more conversation around sort of what's being done in early learning, learning so that we can then welcome them into our kindergarten classrooms and beyond? Where are we in that? Or is this sort of just we've got to hopefully rely on the begins of the world to sort of, you know, we cross our fingers as parents and say, we're so glad that you're there because you're you're seeing what's going on and you're going ahead and taking the lead. How much of a relationship are we finding between early learning and then traditional brick and mortar education? 
Not as much as we would like. I think it's it's the case that schools really haven't changed a lot in the last hundred years or so. Um, that's, you know, there's definitely exceptions, of course, but by and large, education has not changed very much. You know, we're still approaching teaching in many of the same ways we have for decades. Uh, we're still focusing on many of the same schools. We're still focusing on high stakes testing. Um, and a lot of those things have, you know, important reasons for being. And like I said, there's amazing teachers and amazing schools that are exceptions to that rule. But I do think that parents are more cognizant than ever before of the fact that there are skills that aren't being taught in the classroom, that there are experiences like learning through play and having access to just joyful, you know, play experiences that maybe aren't happening in the classroom. And they are turning to companies like Begin to help find those solutions. And so we really see ourselves as, um, as an option that families can go to, to augment and to extend and to enrich what's happening in the classroom. There are many good things that are happening in the classroom, but um, we know that there are benefits to how we can enrich that time outside of the classroom as well. It feels like SCL, social emotional learning, that really the roots of that are in the early learning space to understand sort of as a young child, you know, my my physical existence within space, how I impact others, how stimuli around me impact the way in which I feel about myself and want to engage. Um, and it was fascinating because so many education companies, you know, in the last 15 years sort of glommed onto, we've got to have SEL and you would go to conferences and SEL was plastered everywhere, but it didn't mean it had a true application of whatever that product or service was. Um, I'd like to think that we are more mature in the way in which we're understanding SEL in the space of education and how we can provide experiences, um, and resources to parents, you know, and students and teachers that are, are thoughtful and that they are, you know, they're layered in a sequential way that just sort of makes sense for the cognitive ability sort of that we would expect maybe a young child to have at different stages of development. Yeah, we're getting better. I would <laughs> say social emotional learning is still pretty nascent. It's it's pretty early days, I think, as a curriculum. Um, but it is something that's critically important. And, and we mentioned earlier some of the changes in parenting coming out of the pandemic. And I think a focus on social emotional learning is a big one. We're definitely hearing from parents that they have more concerns than they did prior to the pandemic around their child's social emotional learning. Part of that is because they worry that their children missed key social you know, interactions for an extended period of time during those formative years. Um, they missed play dates, they didn't go to birthday parties, they didn't have the opportunities to have to, you know, navigate conflict on the playground because playgrounds were boarded up and, and locked. And so, you know, parents are definitely more aware that social emotional learning is important to their child's development. Also, what we're hearing for parents is that they themselves feel like they maybe didn't get a good, strong social emotional learning curriculum, and therefore they don't know how to teach that to their children. And so um, to your point, social emotional learning is foundational upon which everything else really sits. Our ability to understand our own emotions, express our emotions, regulate our feelings, understand that other people have maybe differing feelings than we do and they interpret the world differently, and then how to, you know, maintain and regulate friendships and relationships. 
those are just critical life skills. Um, and so we have been focusing a lot on social emotional learning. We've partnered with Sesame, which is one of the world's most trusted brands um, to really bring social emotional learning curriculum to life. And, you know, to really the spirit of our entire conversation so far, what we've been focused on is designing experiences that are appropriate for the child, uh, designing experiences that are meaningful and supportive of parents, and then also designing experiences that are really about bringing parent and child together through co-play. I love that around co-play. And, and I want to kind of hone in on, you know, these are challenging times around the world in so many ways. And I, I, I can't, you know, obviously I think we're speaking from the same platform in the the challenge one parent can have in discussing or even making the decision to have a discussion around challenges, whether it's violence, um, uh, you know, in different parts of the world or right in our backyard and knowing sort of when and how to discuss these things. Because, you know, we didn't have when we were growing up, we just didn't have the number of platforms of information coming at us. So sure. you could kind of control the flow of information if you were a parent. And if you decided you didn't want to talk about something, you kind of didn't have to. Uh, you didn't run the risk that it was going to come out because now all these kids, even in elementary school, have their phones and iPads and everything else. Um, how are we doing in thinking about the ways in which to help support parents in having these conversations, because I, the sample size is incredibly small <laughs> to to my my community, the soccer field and these sorts of things. But my sense of it, Dr. Jody, is that there's this sort of it's it's an either or proposition with a lot of parents. It's either they say, you know, we're going to have these conversations because they either have family members that are experiencing some challenging times in a different part, whatever it is, or they just ignore it completely. Um, and I have to think that anything in this world where we just sort of say we either <laughs> talk about it or we ignore it and cannot be good long term, um, how should we think about it? Because I don't know if there's a, a right or wrong answer, but I just know that I'm seeing it with some very young kids that they're maybe they're even hearing their parents talk about what's on the news. And that can be confusing, troubling, and and they have no sense of sort of location. Like, well, where is that in relation to where I live? Or could it impact me? Yeah, I mean, listen, it is, it's so confusing, right? Even as somebody who has a PhD in, in child development, I don't profess to know all of the answers. Um, it is we're evolving in real time, all of us. It's almost like we're in this experiment together and we're trying to figure this out together in real time. Our parents didn't have, you know, this aspect of parenting. So we, it's not even like we can go to generations before and ask them how they dealt with it. So we are a little bit all in this together. Um, and I would say that you know, I don't think we have this figured out. We see increasing rates of anxiety and depression, even amongst our youngest children. And to me, that's a massive signal that that something needs to change, that we need to do things a little bit differently. And so um, I, I definitely have concerns. I'm excited about you know, designing experiences that feel playful, but that help to establish those foundational aspects of social emotional learning upon which we can then start layering some of these complex issues on top of, you know, it's, it's my opinion that unless we have some of those foundational skills, like the ability to say to your parent or for a parent to say to their child, I feel, and then whatever that emotion is, it's really hard to engage in some of these more complex issues. 
What responsibility would you say the entertainment and, and media world plays in what what we present to young people? Um, it you know it's interesting. I had a uh, a family member the other day make a comment about just sort of movies in the eighties, right? Like what was PG then and what it is now, and it just sort of went down this path that that you know, is sort of a, a regular conversation about what are we, what are we doing? And is Hollywood responsible in this space? Are we, you know, we're talking about, we live in a world now where, you know, we're banning books around certain topics. Like we're getting very sort of extreme and, and, and these wild swings of content and information. And I'm just wondering, uh, you know, where we sit when it comes to the responsibility of it, or do we just have to, again, rely on professionals like yourself to continue to swim upstream and, fight against the masses where it feels like we're getting pretty laxed in the language. I mean, you know, I, I love sports and I can't drive my kids to school listening to sports, national sports radio um, without language just sort of running off the rails. And you think, like, at what point <laughs> do we say, you know, I don't know, we want to encourage the next generation of sports fan, let's call it, um, and and not have it be to where they have to hear things that, you know, you might be talking about at a local bar or establishment. Yeah, I mean, I've typically spent my career working on products for really young children. And so yeah. I haven't had to to worry too much about some of the more, let's call them gray areas, as you know, we think about entertainment for older kids. Um, one of the things I've talked to a lot of parents about is there are organizations out there like Common Sense Media, which is a nonprofit organization that really works to review content, review movies and shows, podcasts and the like for families so that they can go in and really make informed decisions. And at the end of the day, that's my message as well is um, it's not, you know, even going back to this, this debate about screen time, it's not necessarily about the number of minutes or hours. It's really all about the quality of the content itself. And so you can go to trusted brands like Begin and Sesame. Um, you could use organizations like Common Sense Media. But as a parent, I think it's really our responsibility to understand the types of content our kids are consuming and make a decision that makes sense for your family, your families, you know, your children um, and and what you want your children to hear is maybe different than the person who lives beside you. And so, you know, the um, American Academy of Pediatrics talks about creating a family media plan. Um, and that's really about like what types of content is okay for our family, what type times of day is it okay for us to access technology and screens, you know, how much screen time is acceptable in our home, where in the home can we access content? Is it only in you know, highly visible public spaces? Are we allowed to use content, you know, and devices in our own rooms? So I think it's really, it's on each family to make that decision, but there are resources to help us find the best content. It does feel like sort of half of the work, maybe, you know, if we're sort of breaking it up into a pie, half of the work that you do has to be about parents as much as it does about the end user being the child and what yes. learning opportunities. Is that fair? That is absolutely fair. We are laser focused on creating the best experiences possible for kids. And that means not only supporting the learning outcomes we know kids need, but making those experiences really fun and engaging. Um, but we're equally focused on the parent. What are their pain points? What is it that they 
want their child to engage with and why, and how can we serve them through not only those products for their kids, but also, as I mentioned before, things like, you know, blogs and articles and um, classes and um, yeah, just, just addressing both the parent and the child, which is both probably one of the trickiest parts of the job, but also part of the, you know, the most rewarding part of the job. Now, in, for the education audience out there, we, we know the traditional four C's of communication, collaboration, critical thinking, and, and creativity. I know the BEGIN uh, works off of the five C's. Could you talk a little bit about the five C's and how they provide sort of that foundation for that advancement through or mat- matriculation through education as a child grows and develops? Yeah, I would love to. Um, So one of them is core skills, which is, you know, reading and writing and science and all of those things that have historically been critical and will continue to be so, you know, we need to uh, support those foundational skills. Another one is character, which is really the C that we use to talk about social emotional learning, uh, which is incredibly important, as you know, critical thinking. I think this one is so important in today, uh, today's age, uh, more so than ever, because it's really about understanding how to validate sources of information, think logically, make decisions. Um, so critical thinking is another one of our C's. How early, uh, before I, how early can we look at critical thinking in that way? Because I, I wonder if, it, if that's a classic example of where we think, oh, kids can't really, we, they, they're not old enough, right, or mature enough to learn some of these skills. We've got to wait till they get a little bit older. Are you saying that we can integrate in critical thinking at a much earlier age based on the research? We can, we can. And critical thinking is an entire curriculum and it starts really young and really at the younger ages, it starts with working on, you know, and addressing what we call executive functions. So a child's ability to process information, understand rules, ignore um, sort of distractors that are not part of the task. And it's really upon executive functions that we can start layering some of the more um, sort of traditional critical thinking curriculum around problem solving, logic and reasoning, and then starting to build from there in terms of evaluating resources and making decisions based upon biased or unbiased information. So it's really a progressive curriculum, progressive in the sense that it starts young and and continues throughout um, really the entire lifespan. We should all be continuing to work on our critical thinking skills. And to that end, I know one of them is curiosity. Talk a little bit about that because that's one area that I get asked about storytelling and, and interviewing and questions. And to me, if you're not curious, I mean, I, some part of me says, what's the point? <laughs> because life is so uh, fascinating and interesting at every turn. And kids 100%. embody that, right? Especially young children. And so, you you know, that's the, I think the sad part of it is we think if we're cynical, don't want to be, but it's that. If it's not done right, if education is not experienced within the spirit that it is meant, you do see where that curiosity is really kind of just, it, it's a thing of the past with given with some children, right? Because they just, the environment, whatever it is that they're being exposed to, just not as curious because maybe they're not really wanting to see what's around that corner. Um, talk a little bit about embracing curiosity formally through a 5C mm-hmm. approach. Yeah, curiosity is 
I, I shouldn't pick favorites, but it's one of my favorite C's. Um, and it's also a differentiator for Begin. You know, there's other people that focus on different C's for sure. These are not, you know, we didn't make these up. These have a, a strong research basis, but curiosity is unique. And it's it's also not necessarily a skill. And you mentioned it perfectly. You know, we enter this world as curious beings. That's how we learn. We're hardwired as little scientists. We want to understand the world around us. And so from a very early age, you see infants exploring through experimentation because they're curious. They don't they don't have the knowledge yet, and therefore everything is unknown and they seek to make it known. Um, so our job is, as parents and as caregivers and educators isn't necessarily to teach curiosity. In my opinion, it's about keeping that spark alive, right? Because we want curious adults. Curious adults tend to be happier they tend to score high, you know, higher on wellness checks and assessments. And so there's something magical about curiosity. And I, I really think it's about trying to keep that alive throughout childhood and into um, adulthood. Curious people are more likely to innovate and we need innovators. So let's, let's make sure we're doing that. Um, and there's even some research to suggest that Kids who are curious and kids who have high intelligence have very similar, you know, academic outcomes, meaning curiosity is incredibly important. Um, and it's really all about making the unknown known. And so, um, you know, at Begin, we, we think about curiosity as helping kids to understand the world around them and explore the world and get excited about the world around them. It's about helping to build that background knowledge upon which they can then continue to ask more questions. And it's about using what we call intrinsic motivation in our design. We know that young kids are motivated to learn. And so by using things like you know, their favorite characters, um, you know, game mechanics that are sticky and that are fun for them, um, or using themes and topics that we know kids have, you know, sometimes almost obsessions about like dinosaurs or space and using that as a way to infuse learning outcomes. We can capitalize on that intrinsic motivation and really keep that spark of curiosity alive. Well, what I love about what you're doing and the way your approach is and, and begin and given the background, obviously, that you have is that there's a real fine line and a needle that you, you, we have to thread the needle when it comes to integrating in parents in a way that is sort of an open door and inviting environment of resources and experiences so that it doesn't feel as if, well, we've not really been doing what we need to be doing as parents and here's what we need to be doing. Yeah. That, that that takes a delicate touch, a thoughtful one. Uh, and, and I get that sense from you and your background, just not just as uh, what you've done in children's media and toy companies and ed tech, but also obviously as a parent as well. Uh, incredibly thoughtful. I encourage people to check out beginlearning.com. You can also connect with Dr. Jody. I love this. Uh, you've got an Ask Dr. Jody right on the homepage. <laughs> you can submit your question uh, and learn more uh, about resources and approaches to support your young child uh, and your family as they Thrive in a, a uh, ever complex world. <laughs> we want to thank Dr. Jody Lavash. She is the Chief Learning Officer at Begin. Once again, you can go to beginlearning.com. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. This concludes another chapter of On Balance. Connect with me via LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Dr. Rod Berger.